Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have Jacqueline Pulverari, a mom who served time in a federal prison for a white collar crime, and her two daughters, Maria and Alexa. It's an intimate look inside how crime and prison ravage families and the steps needed to heal and put families back together. As far as I know, this type of conversation has never before been recorded for the public. There's a lot of joy and laughter and sadness and tears, real stuff in the life of this family and of every family going through difficult issues. Full disclosure, this is no ordinary family. Jackie is a member of our white collar support group that meets online on Monday evenings, who has founded her own organization supporting women who have been prosecuted for white collar crimes. Both of her daughters, and her husband Dave and her son Thomas too, give of themselves freely to regularly support the families of people with white collar justice issues. I'm sure you will relate to and identify with so much in this podcast, regardless of what kinds of problems you and your family might be going through. So coming up, the Pulveraris, a family affair on White Collar Week. I hope you'll join us. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer. So I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week. This is a very special podcast we have tonight. We have a member of our White Collar Support Group, Jackie Pulverari, who's on tonight with her two daughters, uh, Maria and Alexa. And as far as I know, this is the first time that a family's ever been on camera or on a podcast to talk about how these issues uh, affect families. Um, Jackie's uh, well-known to us. She's a member of our White Collar Support Group that meets on Monday nights. She and I have spoken at colleges together, and um, we do all kinds of projects together. So I knew she, that she would be perfect for this, and I know both her daughters, too. So um, why don't we start with Jackie telling her story? That's going to take uh, five or ten minutes, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll pull the girls in. We'll get into some conversation, and uh, we'll see how this goes. So Jackie, um, uh, the uh, mic is yours, um, Jackie Pulverari. Hi. At least I don't have to introduce myself because you guys know who I am. <laughs> Um, my story is, it's, it's a difficult one. I owned a title search company back in 2006, seven, eight, around that time. And I had my whole family working for me. My mother, my father, my brothers, husband, my best friend, aunts, everybody. And, um, I made a really bad choice to take a mortgage out on my house to use the funds for my business. My business partner, who was an attorney at the time, um, did my closing, and we um, used those funds from the closing to supplement the business as to not close the business. At the time, the kids, I I also have a son, so there's three of them, and um, all three of them were in, I believe, from middle school through college, maybe high school at the time. Um, I knew I was contacted from the FBI and I knew I was getting investigated and I had not told the kids yet. And my husband and I talked about it 
And I knew that I was going to have to make a decision, plead guilty. Obviously, I was guilty, so I was going to plead guilty. And I sat the kids down and told them the truth, told them what happened. I made a poor decision. And I was facing time in prison. They obviously were hoping that wasn't the case. And in fact, I was talking to Alexa today about it because I didn't remember when I actually or how I told them. I was in pre-sentence for five to six years. So I waited. I had to wait for my partner to get um, indicted because he was not pleading guilty before they got to me because I was just a little fish in this big, huge pond. Mortgage fraud at the time was huge. Everybody I knew was getting indicted for something. Every paralegal, every attorney, mortgage attorney. Um, so I had to wait. And during that time was a tough time because I didn't know. Back then, criminal justice wasn't in the forefront. So there was no one that I could speak to about it. Nobody that I knew went through it and nobody that my kids could speak to. So we had to kind of come together as a family. I was not the easiest. I had a lot of times and the girls can talk about that. Um, so in 2014, I ended up pleading guilty. It took that that long a time, length of time. Actually, I think I pled guilty in 2011, but 2014, I had my sentencing and I got sentenced to a year and a day and self-surrendered January 15th. I mean, January 5th to Danbury Federal Prison for Women. And I had to leave my husband, two daughters, and my son, as well as a business that I built. At that time, I cut the business away from my partner and rebuilt the new title search business that had nothing to do with what was going on. And I think the hardest part was the five years prior. And then, of course, the craziness I was away for seven months, came home, went into a halfway house, and um, we had to just recover. Reentry was really difficult. And that's my story. In short, I mean, the girls can fill you in on a lot of the emotional stuff, but I was, I was a nervous wreck. I mean, one day I was great to them. The next day I'd be screaming at them because the kitchen wasn't clean for no reason. Um, it was tough. I don't remember, girls. What? What years were you in at that time? I was going into my, I was in my freshman year in college when you left. And then I found out I had been like seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. Do you remember me sitting, your father and I sitting you guys down? I don't remember that at all. Honestly. You do? Do you remember that? I was a freshman in high school. Um, and you sat all three of us down together at the kitchen counter. I thought I was in trouble. Um, because you were, you were in trouble. <laughs> yeah, they, they always, um, it's like the famous thing, like when you sit down. Around the, the kitchen table. Yeah, at the kitchen counter. I know. And we all like had our seats. Like you can't sit in somebody else's seat. So um, we all would sit at our seats. Um, and... They sat us down, and I was like, oh, what did I do now? And, um, well, I wasn't the one in trouble this time. But, um. It was me. <laughs> I wasn't the one in trouble this time. So we, and we just kind of sat there, and it, it just. And then I think mommy was waiting for us to be angry, and all of us kind of just sat there and was like, okay, she made a bad decision. Like, 
it's not a big deal. Um, and she was like, are you angry? And all three of us were like, no. And we couldn't understand why she was waiting for us to be angry. I mean, I know I couldn't at least. Um, I know my brother and I have talked about this as well. Um, he has a hard time with it, actually. He wanted to be on the podcast, but he has like a hard time talking about it and um, expressing his feelings exactly. And um, it was a long, drawn-out process. So it started... It started when I was a freshman in high school and it didn't really end until I, I well, she came home my senior year of college, but that just started the reentry process. So it didn't really end until I graduated with what my, my graduate degree. So it was pretty much my schooling. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was a long time, but um. I think the only thing that really helped us and I appreciated was my mom didn't keep us in the dark. Like we didn't, yes, it was hard to know what was going on, but I think it would have been harder if we were blindsided um, by the whole thing. She did tell us the honest truth from the get. And I think that made it a little bit easier to swallow. Not that it was an easy situation, um, but it was a very difficult situation. And like um, my mom said, she was in pre-sentence for five to six years. And during that time, it was very difficult to understand how my mom was feeling. So like she said, she would be, you never knew how she was feeling and you couldn't, and as a kid, like you couldn't understand why she was feeling this way. Like I couldn't understand why she would be so angry so quick or because she had her own turmoil going on and you don't, you know, the situation, but you don't really understand it at that age because you don't understand what the fear is. And, you know, and I, I couldn't understand. And we talk about it, um, often now, and I couldn't understand how she was feeling. And I think that's what made it hard to kind of understand my own feelings and I don't know, process the whole thing. And, and we are a family that talks, we're very about communication. So it made it even, I think more difficult um, because we talk so much. I mean, I told them immediately when I found out, I told my husband immediately as well. And, um, God, Jeff, you've never seen me cry. So this isn't good with the girls on because well, I, was just I get myself. How long is it going to take for mom to cry? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. If she starts up, I know. turn bright red. Um, right, Alexa, let me ask you a question. So, did you know right away that your mom might go to prison? I mean, did you understand the gravity of it at that time? No, not really, to be honest with you. Um, you here's the thing. You, you don't understand, really, and I didn't think she was going to go to prison. Like, you're looking at your mom, and you're like, okay, she made a mistake, but she's my mom, and she doesn't do anything bad. So, you know, when you think of going to prison, you think of prison, prison, not okay. to prison. Uh, federal prison or um, no. <laughs> um, so I didn't think that she was going to go anywhere 
Um, and I didn't see her as a bad person. So I was like, I couldn't understand, um, where that was coming from. So I didn't think she was going in. And then when you're, when I was that age, I felt the need to be perfect. So when it came time to show, to, to go to sentencing and everything, like the judge would see, you know, she has perfect kids and she's a good mom and, and she's a good person and she can't go anywhere. Mm. And, um, so it was hard cause I just, I felt, I don't know if my sister felt this way, um, that I had to be the best that I could be. I had to be good in school and I had to be good as a person and I couldn't make a mistake or, you know, um, it would reflect on her. And I, I never wanted her to like anything to happen because of me. And you felt so helpless because you couldn't help her or you couldn't help the system understand who she was. Cause you, I know who she was and how good of a person she was, but they didn't. And it was hard for me to, I couldn't relate to them. I couldn't sit down and have coffee with them at coffee time and say, Hey, this is what's going on. Like my mom's such a good person. You have to understand. And it's not like that. You couldn't plead to anybody. You couldn't make them understand. I mean, I felt like I, I felt also like the whole stigma of being a kid of like a parent with, that's in prison is that you're a bad kid. Yeah. I think that kind of pressured me to be more perfect. I mean, like in criminal justice classes, we would talk about kids and they're like, Oh, well the kids always go to prison and they always take after their parents or like they always like end up doing drugs or like overcompensating with alcohol. And I'm like, I used to be the only one saying that's not true. It's just a stigma for some reason. And I think that just made me overcompensate to think like I have to be this perfect human being and do nothing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Maria, what's the difference in ages between you and Alexa? I'm 24. We're a year and a half apart. Okay. I was going to say, (laughs) <laughs> we're like you know we're a year and a half we're a little know how old I am. <laughs> and maria has her master's in maria has her master's in criminal justice yeah, it was yeah. concentration and she has justice in, in juvenile yeah yeah so wh- when when did it when did it hit the papers i mean when did people know about this i mean this is something that you're d- discussing in your family but at some point it becomes public I mean, for me, it didn't affect me. I have a different last name than mm-hmm. my mom. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anybody ever put two and two together. I mean, I think I definitely, one of my friends stopped talking to me about it. I think her dad, her dad was a Metro cop. Mm-hmm. And I think he figured it out. She started pushing away all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I think you guys know who I'm talking about. So she all of a sudden kind of pushed away and never talked about why. But I don't think besides that, I don't think anybody really knew from the papers. With me, at least. I don't know about you, Alexa. I mean, I have the same last name, and I really wasn't um, quite, not really. The, the only article I can think of would be the article in one of the local papers that listed my name um, and my brother's name um, on purpose. That's the only one I can think of. But I really didn't talk about this situation with anybody. So I, it didn't, not until college, I didn't talk about it with anybody in high school. Um, but I, again, I only have like two friends. Um, so <laughs> my two friends were fine. <laughs> um, I was, um, I'm very, I have like good friends, not a lot of friends, quality friends. 
know, when when I talk to my kids about it, one of the things that they they have commented on is how my problem became the overarching issue of the entire family. That it, it somehow stopped them from growing and becoming what they they could have should have been otherwise. The, it was just like this this sh- shadow over the whole family, and um, I actually saw them start to grow again after I went to prison because I because my problem was no longer in the household. I and mean, did you experience anything anything like that? I think that the whole experience made me grow better. I mean, it made me pursue criminal justice and educate myself on everything that like my mom was going through. Cause I didn't have no idea. Like I, like Alexis said, I thought prison was for like murderers and that was it. Nothing more. Mm-hmm. So I think like while I was in school, I wanted to educate myself more and start pursuing. So I was originally a psychology major and then switched pretty much when everything was going on. I switched to criminal justice major. So I think it bettered me in the long run. I mean, I think that our family had a hard time, definitely, and it, it definitely was, um, I don't know, it was over our heads. However, I don't think it stopped any of us from yeah. growing. Um, I have a master's degree in business, um, and and I think my mom always encouraged us to learn from her mistakes and was always honest with us and encouraged us to pursue our dreams and whatever we wanted. Um, so I know my brother is, he does well. I mean, we, it didn't stun us from becoming whatever we wanted. I think, um, all of us really strive to follow our dreams. And that was always really encouraged in our house, um, to, to become what you want to become and and be who you are. Mm -hmm. You've met, um, or you've spoken to a lot of other kids I'm calling you kids, but children of, yeah. Um, and, um, it's not like that in every house. I, I know that you've spoken to a lot of family members of other people who've been to prison. So what, what's your experience with them? And, and do you find it's like your house? Do you find they're in a lot more or less trauma? Um, I think that what I try and tell um, other family members that I talk to is I say, rem- it's hard to, it's not, it's hard to not be swallowed by the situation. So they say, how were you not embarrassed? Or how were you not ashamed? Or, um, because I knew who my mom was. I didn't need anybody to tell me who she was. I already knew. So I said to them, do you, your father or your mother or whomever, um, you know who they are. So does it really matter what somebody else says? Because you love them for them and you love them for who they are. And if the roles were reversed and you made a mistake, would they still love you and, and be proud of you? And, and I'm sure they wouldn't be proud of your choice, but that's one choice. That's not your whole character. And, um, I try to remind everyone that it doesn't need to consume your every thought of that person. It's, a situation, not the whole person. Mm. I think for a parent, it's just so difficult because the mistake I made, it's, you know, the collateral damage is my kids. I had to, I, I left them. And um, for me, I mean, the first visitation, it, the visitations were 
um, in the beginning were so very difficult. Towards the end, they got a little bit more relaxed. But um, Jackie, let, let, let's talk about the actual mechanics of the first visit because you yeah. guys came to visit your mom for the first time, and she's in Danbury, so it's not that far from your house, right? It's maybe forty minutes like, from the house. I was in school, so it was like two hours. Um, I honestly saw my mom more that semester than I would have if she. She can go back. No, she can go back. It's not her problem, Maria. That's it was like every other weekend I would drive down. Right. Yeah, she would. So I was halfway in between home and school. So she would come down to me and then I would drive us down. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we carpooled. But um, actually, yeah. I wasn't allowed to visit the first time. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. When, when I started pre-sentence, um, I adopted Alexa when she was 18. So, um, when I started pre-sentence, I hadn't adopted her yet because she wasn't 18 years old and her biological mom, my, my husband and I have been married for 16 years and her biological mom was never a part of her life. And so, um, when I went to prison, they had her as my stepdaughter and we have never used those terms in our household i mean they're my kids i have three beautiful kids and um and because she was my stepdaughter she wasn't allowed to visit because she wasn't on the visiting list so only thomas and maria and my husband were allowed to come the first time and alexa couldn't so alexa did you know that in advance or had you driven up there and were you turned away um, I found out the night before, so it was the first visiting week, which all of us were home for winter break because we were all in college. So um, uh, I was a junior, my brother was a senior, and my sister was a freshman in college, and we were all home for winter break, um, and it was a Friday, and I um, was working uh, for the business, actually, and um, I remember mommy calling daddy and um saying to him you know i need to talk to her um it's important and i remember her getting on the phone and she was crying hysterically and she said i'm so sorry you can't come you can't come see me and i was like why what did i do and she was like um she told me why and i knew it wasn't her fault um paperwork wasn't updated and and that was a, a lesson and, and I hope other families, you know, understand that, you know, before they go just to make, if they're in a similar situation or, um, but I would have to fill out a form, a visiting form and hand it in, um, before I was, um, okayed to go. Um, now visiting forms can take some time. So I got scared. Um, so my brother and my sister and my dad all left at nine o'clock the next morning and I was home by myself and it was really hard and I didn't know if she was okay. I didn't know where she was and my brother and my sister and my dad reassured me that they would let me know what was going on, but I couldn't see it with my own eyes and I, I couldn't see my mom or hug her and I was alone. So, um, and, and, and I, I think, 
talk to anybody about it. So, And at the time, you didn't know what the procedure was. I mean, you didn't really know that you had a clear security or that you had to wait for, you didn't know how long it would be. No, I didn't know um, how long the forms took, um, if the forms, and then once they checked you out and whether you, whether I got cleared or not, because technically I, I was her daughter um, by adoption, but it didn't seem like they were, obviously they didn't even have updated paperwork. So I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, we updated so, it. So, so why, don't, why don't you each talk about um, the day that um, that Jackie had to self-surrender to prison, what I that was like. So clear, solely because of Dave. <laughs> he brought my mom, and I was really upset. I remember being really upset. Like I was holding it together. I think like I didn't cry at all. I was just trying to hold it together. Dave came walked into like everything that happened, looked at us and goes, so his go-to if we're sad is food. So he looked at us and goes, you guys want to go to the diner? And to me, like that just pushed me over the edge. And I remember like, I'm like, how can you go to the diner right now? Like mom's in and we're not gonna be able to talk to her. Cause I know there was like a waiting period of talking. So I didn't even know like when the next time we could talk to you was, it was just, you were to call us. And I was like, miserable and he's like so diner <laughs> so 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 he, wait, so he so so dave drove jackie up to the prison yes yes but mom didn't want us to go and what what jackie what time did you have to report by and what time did you actually leave the house i had to report by two but i was on standby because um teresa judice was reporting that morning and it was all media in front of the, so my attorney would told me he would call me when to the best time to leave was. So I wasn't even sure until I got the call and he said, you need to go now. Um, all the media just left because I was afraid that all the media would get me and my husband going in because of the celebrities. Of course. Who, who's Wait, your lawyer at the time? Nor, was Norm your lawyer? Um, yeah. Okay. Norm Pattis was my lawyer at that time. Mm -hmm. And he was excellent in keeping me abreast of that and um when i was to leave i didn't want to cry in front of them but they know i'm I, <laughs> i'm an emotional wreck every time i see them i mean they recently both got engaged so i'm completely a wreck oh yeah show um, the show the rings <laughs> <laughs> they all got, they both got engaged um so when we left, I just, I didn't want them to come because when you first get to any women's camp, you, you don't surrender to the camp. You surrender to the prison if it's a satellite camp with the exception of Alderson, which is a true camp. So the first thing you would see would be the men's prison, which is a full-on prison with barbed wire around it. And I yeah. didn't want them to have an envision of that's where I was going. Yeah. So, um, I think I blocked it out because I don't remember leaving them. I don't think I could have handled it. I remembered it, so I don't remember leaving them that day. And, yeah. And, and it was rough, rough. Actually, I thought you stayed. Did you stay the night before? Uh, oh, no. No, yeah. No, because she left, and I had to go to work. Hmm. I had to work. And I yeah. had to do some work. Yeah. And we were all... So the way our bedrooms were... 
uh, was like in an L formation. And we each said goodbye to mommy and we all went in our rooms and shut our doors until daddy came home. I can almost guarantee that I was in your room. No, you weren't. I was working. Mm. I know, so, I was working and you weren't and you were watching Netflix. So Jackie, when, when Dave drove you up there, was, was he um, allowed to go inside the building with you and, and, um, and present you? Or was it was, is Danbury where they stop you at a gate? No, he actually came into the prison and um, he was able to hug me goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then he had to leave. And then I just kind of waited. I didn't wait very long for processing because they wanted to. I, I, was, I benefited and didn't pre- benefit from all the media. They didn't want anybody hanging. So he left. And, and so you went to R&D. Did you go to R&D at the, um, at the men's low? Yeah, they don't, they don't do it up in the prison. In fact, I went, I went to R&D um, and I had to do all the embarrassing checks and mm-hmm. the strip search and the whole thing. And then they just gave me this big sack of clothes and a pillow and said, okay, the, the camp's up there. And I'm standing there and it's snowing out. And, and I looked at them and they said, oh, no, you can walk. <laughs> and I'm thinking, walk? I have to walk up that hill. Aren't you worried I'm going to leave? And they were like, no, it's up there. And, and when I was walking, that's when I thought about the kids because you, you, I couldn't see the camp. It's this big hill from the, from the man, men's prison all the way up and you can't see the camp. So I'm walking up this hill wondering, oh my God, where am I? How did I ever get here? And my kids are home. And that was hard. That and was really hard. Could, could Dave see you from the parking lot walking up the hill? Um, I don't know, Dave, could you see me from the parking lot? No, <laughs> he said no. And did they ever put cuffs on you? Never. No, I, I've never been in cuffs. I was never arrested. I mean, I, I pled guilty. So I walked into, I don't, I've never went to a police station or they never. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was so surreal. It was because, because I had never been, I'd never been fingerprinted until I pled guilty, um, didn't have my DNA or anything like that. So it was just like, how, how is this right? How are they sending me to this place away from my children where I can't pay my restitution and my kids who my daughters were, even my son, I mean, I'm very close with, were in crucial, crucial ages where they needed me. And I just felt like I was disappointing them. I mean, I was felt like I was just a horrible mother because I was just leaving. Did you have had had you driven up to the prison in advance, like with or you and your family driven up to the gate or anything and checked it out? You know, mm, no, I was afraid to. I I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to be get there and think it was worse. And I'm glad I didn't because it's scary. The FCI is scary. The men's low there. It's really scary looking. And I, you can't even know there's a camp in the facility. So I don't know what I would have done if I saw that building. Yeah. I've, I, 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 I've been back there recently. I spoke there not that long ago before COVID. Yeah. I spoke. There oh, you not, did. No, yeah. And, um, oh, I remember. Yeah. And, and, it's so less scary than most of the prisons I've been in. <laughs> but when you first go to prison, it is frightening. Yeah. And back then, I didn't know. I mean, I, I spoke to Babs for a little bit. And 
Um, oh yeah, you I, had a re you had a relationship with Babs prior yeah, to going to prison. I did because she, um, Norm, and her have a relationship, and Norm sent her to my house and said, yeah. "Oh, you need to go to this woman's house and talk to her and her family because they're a mess." And um, she gave me some inputs. I mean, Dave had me go into Kramaga classes because he thought I was going to have to defend myself, and I'd never got into an altercation. <laughs> and the girls would laugh at me. They were like, "Mom, really? What, what are you going to do if somebody hits you?" And I, it's like I'm going to run. Yeah, for, sure. for those listening, when we mentioned Babs, it's Babs Rolls Ivy, my uh, my partner on Criminal Justice Insider. Yeah, and, uh, and she knew Jackie first. So so now you're in prison. You have to report to the um, to the women's camp up the hill, and um, what ha what happens when you get there? They show you to your cube. They, what happens? No, I walked in the door and it was chaos. Mm -hmm. Just women, and at the time, the prison holds a hundred and I think one hundred and sixty women, and there was two hundred and fourteen when I got there, and there was women everywhere, and I'm waiting. There's only one guard up there. So I'm waiting for somebody to just, and finally some woman, this little Italian woman came up to me and she said, honey, you're new. I know. Cause I had on different clothes and she said, you come on, I'll find you a room. And I'm thinking, how is this other inmate going to find me a room? Isn't, don't I have to talk to somebody in charge? And um, then I heard somebody yell, which was um, camp counselor at the time, just put her in room, whatever. And I walked into this room with six other women who were fantastic. And I'm still friends with them today. They just took care of me. Did they put you in orange between the the uh, the men's the men's and the women's? Were you wearing were you, were you wearing a jumpsuit? No, the women wore green pants and a green top, and then yeah. I had on this bluish um yeah. kind of outfit, like like scrubs almost. Yeah. And so they knew. I was, yeah. um, you know, and, and my biggest thing was, when can I talk to my family? Yeah, well, when, when did you first get to call them? The next day mm -hmm. it was, and, and it was because the women helped me set everything up and they were excellent. I mean, the women run that camp. They run every camp yeah, sure. and they set me up. And I think that was the worst thing is I talked to my kids every single day when they were at college. And because you're only allowed 300 minutes, I have three kids, my husband and my parents. Mm -hmm. And so we had to do this schedule because they couldn't call me. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a lot of fighting amongst them because we had this schedule. I can only call like Alexa this time. And then you girls can talk about if I called them and they missed my call. It was horrible for them. Mm -hmm. So that um, missing a call was so I think we all, um, when, when it happened, we all talked about it and, um, we all agreed a majority of mommy's minutes would go to daddy. Um, because, you know, he, she talked to him every night. Um, and then she would call us. It wasn't a schedule call. She would call us when she could. So if you missed that call, you couldn't, it's not like call her back so if you were in class i remember one time oh my poor professor was in the middle of having a conversation and my mom called so i was out of the classroom in two minutes like i just i didn't i left all my stuff and i just like walked out i like ran out of the classroom because i couldn't miss the call and and, it, and 
I had the worst cell service. Well, Maria had worse cell service. <laughs> um, so I was in the building. I remember running out of the building to make sure that I would have cell service to answer the phone call, and I missed it. Mm. And, and so it was well, devastating. So wh- why don't you tell um, everybody how you know that it's a call from your mom? And it said no caller ID, so it's a blocked number. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, um, there was like less spam calls and stuff, so yeah. y- you knew if it mm-hmm. said no, it said blocked caller, no caller ID. Um, answer no matter what, like even if it is spam, like a possibility, you still answer it. It's like like panic. You leave and you answer it, and then it's like a bummer when it ends up being actually spam. Mm. <laughs> Did a did a message come on first that that you're receiving a call from a from a federal institution? I don't remember. Yeah, it did, and then it, and she said her name, so like it would say it would be like you're getting a call from Danbury Federal Prison from, and it would say Jacqueline, and it would go in, and then she would say hi, and then it would be, um, like when it was either close to being done. Well, or- it would interrupt. If you yeah. guys remember, yeah, it would interrupt and it like, like they didn't know every, what, three or four minutes I'm talking to them or I'd be on the phone. Maria would be at work and then all of a sudden I'd be talking to her and it would say, and uh, this is from a federal prison. So like you didn't know you were talking to somebody from a federal prison. It would interrupt the phone call all yeah. the way through a 15 minute phone call. Yeah. yeah. And that was annoying because then you had to stop talking. So really it wasn't a 15 minute phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tell us each about the first, so, so the first time you each saw Jackie was a different day because Maria got to see her first. So Maria, why don't you tell us that now you go to, you go to visiting for the first time and you're with Dave and you're with Thomas. So tell us about that. And then we'll come back to Alexa following up. Well, I'll start was. Saying, I talked to my mom just earlier and I wanted to say that like, I never had a genuine bad experience going to visit my mom. I mean, I forgot my license one day and they still let me in. I mean, that's definitely not allowed, but they still let me as I'm watching my mom sit there and her shaking her head. and like, are you kidding me? After I drove like four hours from Maine to Connecticut, without my license. But, um, the first day I went to see her, I think I was more scared about what the person was going to look like. I don't want to see my mom in an orange jumpsuit behind a window like a glass window i'm thinking of movies so we got there and it's just a bunch of chairs in a big room you can sit wherever you want wherever your mom decides to sit there's vending machines you could hug her people aren't yelling at you to not touch and it was a lot more i think relaxing seeing her that it wasn't that scary of a place and i don't know if it was that time or another time but my mom would introduce me to people like that were her friends or that she would talk to consistently. And it was nice seeing women that looks like my mom and just spoke like her and seeing that they're all moms. And yeah, I mean, I think it definitely helped ease. And you spoke to other women's daughters while they were there as well. We had yeah. our kids were connected on the outside. And it was, I, obviously when I first saw her, we cried, but after that, it was, it was always lighthearted and, never is too serious of a talk. It was always just what's going on with your lives and vice versa. And, yeah. And, 
and um, is she kind of pointing to the other other women who are there and kind of giving you their stories a little bit? This one did such and such, and and you're looking at them and say, well, that doesn't look like someone who would do such and such, right? Just like school, I was like the basic drama. My mom's like, this woman over here, and this one, <laughs> this one, she makes this here, so she has the hookups, and I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> um. How did you feel when Alexa couldn't be with you? I mean, was it like weird? I mean, did you feel like, like, like uh, guilty? I definitely felt guilty, and I also didn't understand. I mean, Alexa's been my sister. I never called her my stepsister. We used to tell people we were twins when we were little. So I was like, I didn't understand. Even if she was my stepsister. And she has that name of Steph. I didn't understand why she couldn't come. If this is somebody my mom wants there, why couldn't she be there? I just didn't understand. So, Alexa, how long did it take for you to get to visit Jackie? <laughs> Alexa, you're crazy. <laughs> you see, um, rules, well, Procedures took forever in Danbury, and I am not a patient person. Um, so she stalked the camp counselor. I did. I stalked the camp counselor. I got a hold of her camp counselor in Danbury, um, which is very difficult to do. I also sent a UPS overnight um, to the camp counselor, so she directly got it, and she was the one who approved me the next day. Um, because I called her upset. I left her. Um, I don't even know how I got in touch with her because like, that's not protocol um, for me to even get in touch with her. So I got in touch with her camp counselor. I told her the story. I told her what happened. I told her I was sending her a UPS overnight with my form in it, with all the information that she needed. And um, she assured me that I would be on for the next weekend. Did that happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I got called into the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that was I because, I, you know, they don't use first names in, in prison. And I, you know, I got Paul Ferrari to the office and I was terrified. And I went in there and she said, I just had a little conversation with your daughter. And I, I was like, I'm so sorry. And I just kept apologizing because I'm like, oh, dear, what happened? And I don't know how she got to her. But the, the woman. um a lot of people didn't like her, but I kind of understood her job was probably difficult and she felt really bad. And I said, look, this is, I'm the only daughter my daughter has ever had. And I mean, I'm the only mother that my daughter has ever had. And this isn't right. And she did, she fixed it immediately for me. And then I worked for her. I got the job for her because of Lex. <laughs> oh, oh but you worked for the counselor. Yeah, she offered it to me right there and then. Oh, she said, well, you know. <laughs> she didn't want to get another call from Alexa. No. <laughs> I don't know how I got her, um, but I definitely was aggressive. And um, I don't regret it. Well, I would have regretted it if she got in trouble, but yeah. um, I don't regret it um, because I, I, I spoke out and... Um, yeah, I, I, that was the only mother that raised me so um, and loved me and cared about me. So it was really, I couldn't, it was, it was hard. And it, it was hard for my siblings to understand too, because we don't, like we said, we don't differentiate. So it's interesting. So, yeah. so that second weekend, did everybody go back? Was it like the, was it the family going back? 
I couldn't. You could only have um, two adults at one time. And all of mm -hmm. my kids were adults, or mm -hmm. three adults at one time. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't see my whole family at once. Although, you know, everyone else had five and six kids there. And I was not allowed to because my kids were all over the age of 16, 18, I think, right? It was 18 or 16. And, um, and were you guys counting up points for how many times you could go in a month? And, and what was the point system? Do you remember? Um, all I knew is that one weekend I couldn't have a visit on a Saturday or Sunday. My husband came every single Saturday and Sunday, mm. except for one Saturday or Sunday that I couldn't have. And then um, my son would fight. With, my son went to school at, at, in Danbury, so he was five minutes from the school. Yeah. So he would fight with Alexa and Maria about having alone time because they all wanted alone time with me. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult to do that. And I just remember me and Thomas having to come to you for you to be like mom, mom and mediate between our argument. I don't even remember what the argument was, but like I remember getting an angry email saying like you and Thomas are coming this day so we can straighten this out. And we're sitting there and you're like being so stern and like eating <laughs> between us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, parents forget that. I think moms forget that you have to still parent from prison. And you have to figure out how to do that. I'm lucky I have three really respectful kids and I didn't have any, I really didn't have any problems with them at all. Um, but I did have to say, okay, you're both going to be up here in the morning because this isn't going to happen. You guys I aren't going to I think it was probably about visitation or something. I don't know. <laughs> I got my alone time that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also had knee surgery, so Maria had to walk me up the hill. Mm -hmm. No, there wasn't like the whole camp watching you cripple up or down at yes. snowstorm. I went. I had knee surgery. My mom wanted me to have. I had to have knee surgery, so she wanted me to have it while she was home. So I had knee surgery the week before she left. Um, so I was on crutches, and the whole camp is watching me hobble up in the snow and the ice on my crutches because <laughs> they wouldn't let you drive up to the camp. You had to walk. Yeah. And um, that that was difficult. Right, so it was hilarious for everybody. So um, um, we're we're not going to tell like kind of the the story of you being in prison tonight because this is really about the family. So so now and and we'll we'll do we'll do that again on another on another podcast when we're kind of when we yeah. have um, uh, a bunch of women on who've uh, who've been to prison, which we tried to tape already, but. <laughs> 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 it just doesn't seem to be working. Yeah, women are a little bit more difficult. <laughs> I can't say that. So um, now it's getting to be towards the end of your uh, of your of your term. They're calculating your your uh, your release date. What um, what what happens in terms of you communicating with the family? You you know what dates you you're starting to figure out what date you're going to be released. You get your release date. Where do you go, and um, what's that experience like? Well, I was very lucky because I really didn't qualify for home confinement because I had a home to go to. I had a job. I had a family. Somehow, I got home confinement and. Um, I was called into my camp camp the camp administrator's office and said I was due to come home July twentieth. So I was like, "Wow!" But I had to transfer. I had three hours to go from Danbury 
to the Hartford house. And there's an hour drive where the kids all wanted to see me doing that. So Alexa, I remember Alexa and Maria picking up my dog because I wanted to see my dog so bad. (laughs) Yeah. And Dave picked me up from Mm -hmm. Danbury. And on the way to the Hartford house, we did an illegal stop to see the girls and the dog. At the house, um, at, at your house. No, no, we wouldn't have made it. It was, mm-hmm. right? Where did we meet? No, and you just saw Alexa. I was in Spain. Oh, that's right. You were in Spain but at the time. It was just me. It was. Um, I threw the dog in the car and we drove to Hartford and we met her almost near the Hartford house. God forbid, so if timing was bad, mm-hmm. it wouldn't affect her in any sort of way. Um, I forgot. Was Thomas with me? Somebody. Yes. Thomas, Thomas was with, with me. I yeah, was gonna Maria, say I was yeah Maria had gone to Spain while I was away, mm-hmm. which was horrible for her because all the other moms were there um, packing their kids up. She walked the Camino Trail for a semester. And I remember her saying to me, I thought she was really angry at that point because she said, but mom, all the moms are going to be there. They're bringing their kids to the airport. And I couldn't be. I had the best mom of all, Dave. <laughs> all the pink stuff. All he spoiled me with that. I like convinced him to get me this ridiculously overpriced bag. <laughs> I know. I would have never let any of that happen. But I was oh, like, oh, oh, you did. <laughs> you did. You had the boots and everything. Everything was pink, yeah. But he, I was spoiled. That's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, so you got to the you got to the halfway house, Hartford House, right? That's the women's house in Hartford, right? Yes. And you check in there, and then what happens? And then I said, holy shit, this is a prison. I didn't know what a prison was until I got to Hartford House. Mm-hmm. And it, Hartford House is state and women. Mm-hmm. So state and federal. State and federal. State, yes, I'm sorry, state and federal. Mm-hmm. And so there was only two rooms on the first floor for federal women. So there was four beds for federal women. And... um I walked in and it was all locked. I mean, Danbury, you could walk out. There's no locks. There's no doors. You could walk out anytime. You couldn't at the halfway house. And they were not nice. They didn't care about your situation. They didn't care. I had kids. They, um, when I first got there, they just didn't, they didn't care at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, could Dave go into the house with you or did you have to buzz in and he, had, and, and yeah, that's it. That's it. He wasn't allowed. He was allowed to, past me because you could bring in clothing and stuff yeah. that he brought for me and mm-hmm. but he wasn't allowed to come into um the house at all at yeah. that point yeah because i had to go through intake still yeah. mm-hmm. and um you know the rooms were okay i mean it was the first time i had air conditioned because in Denver there's none of that stuff mm-hmm. but it was it was more scary to me because it was in the middle of the worst section of hartford and I had, it was a bigger culture shock than Danbury. The, the women in Danbury take care of each other, but it wasn't like that at, at the halfway house. And then we had to go through this whole other transition of now having my kids visit me there. Yeah. Um, and that was because the, the state women and the federal women weren't allowed visitations at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it was staggered. Mm-hmm. And um, I was embar- I was more embarrassed to have them visit me there than I was in D- 
Danbury because I just, I, I felt like, my God, how, how, how could they be proud of me at all here? And um, I didn't have my parents visit me at all there. But um, How long were you in the halfway house for? Three months. Mm -hmm. However, it was the most ridiculous thing. And I will tell you that I get, fr you know how I feel about the halfway house. I'm very angry with the whole halfway house situation because I worked from home. So I had a job. So I live in Brantford. I would drive every morning at seven o'clock. I'd leave the halfway house and drive home. And I would work all day till seven at night. And then I have to drive back there to sleep. And then they took 20% of my paycheck. So I had to pay for my bed. So I had to pay. They took 20% to pay. And when I wanted to work home, they asked me how much I made per hour. And they, it wasn't good enough for them. They told me, no, somebody with an education makes much more than them. And it was basically, I had to make $25 an hour in order for them to allow me to work, do my job from home. And um, then once I worked for two weeks in a row, they would let you come home on one, one weekend a night. One, um, night, one, 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 night. Per, one night per weekend? Yeah. Did, um, but they let you have a car. Yeah, my car was there yeah. on the third day. And, we, and so now you're in this difficult part of Hartford. Mm -hmm. Were you concerned about your safety? Were you concerned about your car? Were you concerned about? Well, the first, first week I was there, actually, even though I had a job, I had to leave at eight o'clock every morning to go look for a dog. Mm -hmm. And I had to fill out this form. So I had to go take a bus. Mm -hmm. And I'm embarrassed to say that I had never taken a city bus before. And I felt really dumb because all these women knew exactly the routes and I didn't even know how to read a bus route. And I was terrified because I had to get on this bus. I didn't know where I was in Hartford. I'd never been in the, in the center of Hartford mm -hmm. at all. And I had to go and look for a job. And you didn't set it up. You just go and knock on the door and say, I, can I fill out an application? So did they send you up to like CT works up in uh, Windsor or anything like that? No, no. Mm -hmm. I had to just fill out, uh, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, wherever. And I um, would go and people would look at me and say, why are you here? You and, and the thing that didn't make sense to me is I had a job. So why would I need to go and look for a job when I wasn't staying at the Harvard house and I had a job to go home to? It, it was not a lot of common sense to me. Yeah. And uh, it was very frustrating. So, so girls, did, did you ever visit mom at the halfway house? She was home every day. Did you, so did you ever go up there? I did once. I don't remember why. I remember having a serious conversation between my mom and Dave and I. So I, something happened. But I did. I remember sitting in the basement. There was one computer and one couch. And it was kind of a dingier basement. Like, it was definitely, like, a used couch they got. It was, like, I didn't really want to sit on it. Yeah. But, and then my mom was sitting on, like, a metal chair. It wasn't really furnished. But I don't think I saw the actual, like, the rooms or anything like that. Yeah. I mean... I met Maria's at the time, her boyfriend at the time. I met him. I had to meet him in prison. She brought him to prison to meet me. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. for the first I was time. embarrassed. I was never embarrassed in my mom's situation. I told all my friends in college what happened. 
I remember sitting them down and telling them the situation. I I took a different approach than Alexa with the phone calls. I told all my professors. I told all my friends. So I'm like, if I leave, that's why. I, I didn't want to fail my classes or get in trouble. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm also going to leave if this is going to happen. And my friends were the same way. And my boyfriend at the time understood. So we were first started dating. And I think like a couple weeks in, I was like, I kind of have to tell you something. <laughs> but I remember we had to walk in and he was wearing khakis. And the men aren't allowed to wear khakis, apparently. Yeah. So we had to go down to like the Burlington Coat Factory and get him jeans for him to change really quick. So, yeah. And I don't think it didn't affect our relationship. But honestly, my mom and him had a good relationship. Is, yeah. this, the same, is this the same guy you're marrying? No. Different. <laughs> it was a college guy. This is the real guy. He never really cared. I ever, like Everybody I've ever told was like, okay and <laughs> like it's the past it's not that big of a deal and they're like also it's not you so who cares and your mom's a good person so what does it matter so jackie you come home from the um the halfway house now you're on uh home confinement or did you go straight yeah. to probation no i had home confinement um, which was worse than that <laughs> now you had to go back once a week to the halfway house right um, yeah, the transitioning is crazy. And, and I say this and I wish someone from the BOP um, really watches this because you transition these women into a, a prison, uh, you know, into this camp and they become accustomed to a certain way of living. Then they're transitioned once again into a halfway house and they have to become accustomed to a more stricter way of living. Then they transition them into home confinement and you think you're free. Oh my God, I'm finally home. No, because I was getting phone calls at three in the morning to make sure I was home. And I'm thinking, why, where am I going to be at three o'clock in the morning? Of course I'm home. And, um, it created such anxiety that I started taking some anxiety medication. So, but I couldn't take it because I knew they'd wake me up in the middle of sleeping to say I was home and then they would come and visit me randomly mm-hmm. once during the week. And then I had to go back to the halfway house once a week. And then they would call my employer, which was me. So I would be sitting there working and they would call me. I want to make sure that you're there. And I'm like, okay, I'm here. Where else am I going to be? It was just, it was very stressful. And everyone said to me that I knew like Babs and a couple other women, Stay in Danbury till you go to probation. But in my mind, I was going home. I was free. I was coming home to my family. And in reality, I wish I would have just stayed in Danbury and finished it and then went home because I saw my family more, I think, when I was in Danbury in a relaxing setting versus so stressed. Yeah. Being home and the mental health Mm. issues that it created. My kids didn't understand that I couldn't just go for a walk or go to see Maria play tennis because Maria went on a scholarship for tennis and Alexa played softball and Thomas is a violinist. I couldn't just go because I was on home confinement. So it's almost a teaser and it's, it's horrible for women for your mental health because you want to participate in your family's life again. And, and you, you just can't. So, that one was really hard. That was when I was coming home from my study abroad. And the plan was my mom was going to pick me up with, Dave, it was horrible. and 
like as I took off, that was a plan. That was the plan all along. And I, it was a long flight. I don't remember how long it was. But then when I landed, I got a text. I think it was a text or a voicemail saying like, I can't, they didn't approve. I can't come to Boston to pick you up. They didn't approve it. I'm being really upset. That was like the worst part. I didn't understand like my mom's home and they're just not going to let her drive to Boston to an airport, which now I understand. But at the same time, it's just like, I, I don't get it. Like they never gave any slack with like there's a legitimate reason it's not like i'm just going through vacation i'm going for my daughter and they just didn't seem to care about mm. children at all no no, no they, it wasn't about you guys and it was horrible so so everybody's living in the house still right and yeah and if, if they're not well, at college semi yeah at yeah. college yeah <clears throat> and and the business is in the house Mm -hmm. Right, you, it used to be um, up on Route One, right? But you moved it into the house. Is that yeah. Well, as soon as I, as soon as the FBI got involved, I I separated from my partner and shrank it down and brought it back to my house yeah. and simplified it all. So, how long were you on home confinement, and then had to report to probation? Um, two months on home confinement, and then in November I reported to probation, mm -hmm. and I only I've. I only went to probation once in three years and um, that wasn't so bad. I mean, the, the, my probation officer was fantastic. I have to say at first it took a while for her to get to know me and, and trust me. But I, I have to say she was, um, she didn't bother me at all at all. I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do. I paid my restitution. I checked in online. You have to check in once in Connecticut. I know in New York, they have to physically go there, but in Connecticut, you can check in online. Mm -hmm. And um, I was afraid to leave the house anyway. I mean, my neighbors weren't too nice. And I, Alexa got into an argument with my neighbor at one point, the mental health part of that. It was terrible. Um, he, you, you, you had a lot of problems with that neighbor, didn't you? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so tell, tell some neighbor stories. Um, and just, <laughs> I just want to see, just want to say, um, rest in peace. I know he's passed away since. No, that's the other oh, neighbor. That's the other neighbor. Okay. Right. The other yeah. always like just hated us because they didn't celebrate any holidays and we celebrated every holiday. So it started off there and then just like, <laughs> yeah. Downhill. Oh, well, when I came home, I would go out. I like to weed and stuff. And I went outside and he was, planting i don't know i was by the fence planting things and he was there and he started yelling at me that i was a felon his his son was outside and alexa i don't know if you were outside or not but he was yelling at me that i'm a felon and why don't you go back in the house and steal mortgages the way you do and i started crying hysterical of course alexa was home and she saw me crying so she came running out of the house because my kids were adults they weren't little kids and you know he here she comes and she starts yelling at him and she said, I'm calling the police. And, um, it was a really bad thing. And the thing about it is, is when the police did come at first, they were not, I mean, they, the guy, the police officer gave me the finger and, um, Alexa videotaped the whole thing. <laughs> the police officer was not nice to me at all. And, uh, later on, he had to retract with a, a letter to me apologizing, but the neighbor was was just not good. The neighbor on the other side, his wife worked for me, so when I got when I got the FBI raided me, she videotaped it and sent it to everyone that worked for me. So we had cut, I cut ties with her. 
the first year I was home, they were not, they used to call the police if the garbage cans were out of place. And neighbors did not accept me back at all, which was difficult. What did they want you guys to do? To move? They wanted you out of the neighborhood? Yeah, it appeared that way. I mean, the guy next door, definitely. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Alexa went out there and round up and killed all his trees that he, mm -hmm. he had just planted because he made me cry. So she's there with Roundup and he's outside and, and he's saying, stop just... spraying my trees. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't. It was, um, it was like a circus. <laughs> he was very mean and intolerant and ignorant. Yeah, he was very mean. And it was just so much chaos. Um, and our family had gone through a lot. I mean, five years of pre-sentence is a long time. Yes. And when you're a felon, it's a felon for life. And my girls see it now. I mean, my, my son sees it now. Um, I'm in school for criminal justice and welcome. Very nice by Albertus. I mean, Maria, are, well, she finished at Albertus and I'm there now. Um, but now, I mean, you know, they took my notary license away and for no reason. Well, no, there was a reason when I reapplied for it. I mean, when I um, had to go for an extension of it, um, but I'm a felon for life. If I go for a job, they do a felon. It doesn't matter how many master's degrees I have, how what my education is. It just doesn't make a difference. I'm judged. So my philosophy is to be very transparent about it. And I am very transparent. I, I made a very bad choice. I learned from it. I had to plead guilty. I had three kids. If I didn't, what am I going to teach them? You know, I'm a person. They needed to see that parents make mistakes too. That wasn't an easy decision. Um, wh wh when did you and I first meet? Wh wh what were the circumstances? And, and I remember that you had to ask permission to be able to join the support group. Yeah, I had just gotten home. I met you in, you and Lynn, I met in October. Um, I don't know how. I think maybe Baz, I don't remember how I met you actually, but we met at a diner. Oh, yeah. Um, the four of us met at a diner. Mm -hmm. And um, I just kind of knew at that point, oh, my God, there's somebody out there who, who actually gets it. And I, I had a lot of guilt. When I came home, I had an, an enormous amount. Yeah, I still do. I mean, the girls know I don't buy myself anything. I just I have a lot of guilt. Mm -hmm. And um, it, then I had to ask permission to even talk to, you can't talk to another felon. And I have a big problem with that because the only people that understood were the people in that white support group. You, it, without you guys, I mean, I don't know. I was a mess. White, co white collar support group. Yeah, the white collar support group. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't um, have anything like that when I went. So, so what happens when you when you went to your probation officer? You had to contact your probation officer and say, "I want to, I want to, I want to join this group that meets online on Monday nights." What, how did you explain it? What did you say? And how did you get approval? She she knew of you, so it was easy. Um, and I said to her, "I said, look, there's this group that meets every Monday night online." And they're felons. And I want to, my mental health is not good right now. I also have my master's in social work. So I said to her, and if I can help anybody else, I want to be able to. But right now I need support. And I was, it, I had a psychologist who just didn't understand. She was very open and gave me complete permission. 
to join because it was online. It was in person. I don't know if she would have allowed that. Yeah. But because it was online and it was private and also because you are a minister and a reverend and um, Father Joe was on there, there's that whole umbrella that the privacy portion, Mm -hmm. confidentiality portion of it, she was okay with. So pretty soon after you got home, you decided you wanted to be of service to other women who were going through these issues. And um, I know we talked about it a lot, but how did you, how did you explain to your kids that instead of going back into the title business that was successful? Yeah. um, um, And that eventually that um, they cut, they took over, I think Um, Alexa, Alexa took over, but how do you explain to them that, listen, I, um, this nightmare is now over for our family, at least as part of our nightmare, but I want to go back into the nightmare. I didn't really. I don't think. I think that it happened so quietly. Maria was um, in school for criminal justice and planned on going to law school. And she got very passionate about it. And I think that it just happened one woman at a time. And one woman contacted me. And then finally, when it, I think about a year ago, I, I more or less, the girls were a lot easier. My son was a little bit more difficult. He had a very, he had a, a different time than they did with it. Um, he didn't, the first time he saw me in visiting, I don't know if you remember, Maria, he looked at me and he said, I don't like you in those clothes. I don't like you with those shoes on. I don't like, and I, I just sat there and bawled my eyes out because I was such a disappointment to my own children. And um, then he wrote me once and said, mom, I am, I couldn't have, I am so proud of you. You're my role model. And then I felt horrible because I, how could I be a role model to my kids? <laughs> um, Maria and I got so much closer while I was in Danbury. Um, and then when I got home, Alexa just was really good at running the title search company. She's really good at it. And I thought, well, my kids are okay. Alexa's good at it. Maria's fantastic. She's working as a paralegal now. She's, she's really doing well. And Thomas is successful at being a musician. And they said to me, mom, we want you to be happy and do what you want it. And they really have just always supported me. And my husband, he just, when he gets frustrated, he just shakes his head and he just, he's the most unbelievable, you know, Dave, so supportive to anything that I want. I'm sure it's not easy for them at times. My phone asks Alexa when she's home, my phone doesn't stop ringing and it's a lot, but eh, my choice, it's. I just have so much respect for somebody who can go back into like, a bad place and make it good. I think it's really hard for like women not knowing. And it's just, I mean, going what we went through, like Alex and I had nobody else to talk to. We had no idea what was going to happen. And I think it's important for people to have that person to talk to and be like, it's going to be okay, especially for children. That's the part where I got really passionate in college was just mm-hmm. like kids going into this thing. My life is going to be so affected by this outside of my family. And it's not, it's just, and I think it's important for people to understand that everything can be okay and this is how it works. And somebody sit back and be like, these are the steps you want to take when you're inside prison so that 
it's a smoother ride rather than all you're doing is laying in bed crying all day and depressed. Mm. Yeah, because I, I joined every single thing. I did every function in prison. I did. Oh. I signed up for absolutely everything, and I just wanted. I just, you know, every mother. What do they want from their? They just want their children to be happy. And when they're not, when they're crying because of you, that's not a good feeling. As everybody knows, you know, you make your children cry and that's horrible. So um, that's all I ever wanted was them to be happy. And when you create their unhappy, them to not be happy, it's horrible. And we got through it. It was a temporary, I used to get mad at Norm because he used to always say to me, it's just a blip. It's a small little temporary blip. Remember, you girls, you'd be like, like, he really, he's saying that to us right now. It's our life. And it really is. It was temporary. Everything's temporary. And we got through it. And I mean, as terrible as the time was, I'm thankful for it. I mean, we got closer. We did. I mean, I definitely think it was easier writing emails, telling her what was going on in my life. Because it's not like, hey, she couldn't respond right away. So, you know, she kind of had time to settle in and be like, well, that happened. But I think it was just... I don't yeah. know. And I remember one. the I remember the first time Maria got hurt by a boy. There was oh like my God. twenty women in Danbury screaming, "Where does he live?" Because you know what, we all have peeps. <laughs> that was another situation where, like, before my mom called, she happened to call at the perfect time. Thank God, Dave was trying to help me, and he's like, "Do you want DQ?" And I was like, "I don't want ice cream right now." I literally just like want my mom, and I don't know if like. I emailed you earlier. I don't know, but you just happened to call the perfect time. Those mom instincts kicked in. It really was great. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so how, how do you girls feel about this all? Not, not how you feel about your mom, but she's like so involved in criminal justice now. And, and um, I know that it occupies a huge amount of her life. The, the whole family story has kind of shifted into this. You know, it's like this is now really a part of the entire family's life. Is it, how does that work for you? I mean, do you see it as um, as as something that, not not that, that just that you're proud of, but as, as kind of like life presented a series of, of, of challenges and this is how we've responded, not just your mom has responded, but this is how we've responded as a family. And we feel good, good about it. I think what my mom's created is amazing. Something that like people can look at and be like, there's more than just prison. And that there's more people out there like me. And I just think that, I mean, it's humbling knowing that like, this is our, this is our story. You can't change it. And it's who we are. And if you don't like us for that, then don't be a part of our lives. It's as simple as that. I know Lex is totally, she's a people pleaser, totally different. I'm just, I'm like, if you don't like the way that like my family is and that like my mom went to prison and we went through it all, then just don't be a part of it. Don't judge me or my mom or my family. You don't know us. Yeah, I agree with that. I am a people pleaser, but when it comes to this topic, there's no toleration for ignorance. Um, Especially when she's created such a safe yeah. environment for women and their families to feel that they're connected and to feel that they are alone and they have support and for them to know that there is an end and that 
you know, we did it so your family can do it and it's not going to tear your family apart. And by all means, we are not perfect. Um, I was not perfect. Um, I had a meltdown after she came home. Um, by all means, um, it always wasn't smiles and rainbows and we did struggle. Um, however, our family has come through it and we've come through it strong and close. And, um, I feel that we can give that to another family and, and give, you know, a sense of hope and a sense of calm and, and they know they get, you know, my mom has created an environment where they get support and information that, you know, I, I think would have been helpful to us if we had the opportunity. So Alexa, I was at your, what party was I at? I was at your engagement party. Yeah, because, I, because that was also the Christmas party, right? It was yeah. both. It was both. Yeah. Okay. That's why I was trying to figure that out. All right. Yeah. So I'm at your engagement party and I'm looking at this family that you're marrying into who may not have the same information or values. How do you talk to them or, or even your husband to be? How do you talk to them? How do you talk to his parents about something that is usually very stigmatized and now, and now families are coming together? Yeah, actually, um, I do have to say they don't judge about it. Um, Cameron doesn't, he listens and he learns and he doesn't say one word about it. Um, he, um, like I've taken phone calls from other children and he like gives me my space and he was like, well, at least you're helping and your mom's helping a bunch of people. Um, so, um, my in-law, future in-laws to be, um, that's not a struggle in that arena. Well, I think the good thing is, is Maria just got engaged last yeah. weekend. So we haven't had um, a meeting yet, but the Lexas soon to be in-laws. Um, Dave and I took them out to dinner one night and we were very open with them um, in, in a frank way. And I just, I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable and it's okay if you're uncomfortable me being transparent and, you know, I don't want to create any issues, but I have to say, I'm so proud of my kids and my husband. I mean, my husband and I spoke to a couple last week that it's very rare for a husband to be able to speak to another husband whose wife yeah. is going to prison. Mm -hmm. And I think it was such an, a great godsend for that man because mm -hmm. he didn't have anybody. He couldn't tell his work and their his work doesn't know he's in a powerful position and they don't know. And, um, my 82 year old mother has spoken to other mothers of women that are in prison and she's now very involved as well. And, and I just, and, and she makes great eggplant and she does. <laughs> and she cooks. I mean, my husband gained 60 pounds almost when I was in Danbury because she felt the need to cook for him every single night. <laughs> So, so this this other couple that you met with, well, they're they're in Virginia, somewhere down there, right? Yeah, somewhere down there. Yeah, she's been on the on the sport group call. Yeah. So I think that's how you met her, actually, on the sport. Yep. Group. Yep. I did. So, do they have kids? Do they? Is this yes. going? Is this going to be a, a an immersive experience between your families? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, I know that um, 
one of the other women that got out, Alexa spoke with her children the entire time she was inside. Mm. And um, mm. it's just something that I think it's comforting. It was comforting to her to know that if, and her daughters were younger. Much younger. So, yeah, much, much younger. Much younger. So they had like a big sister yeah. to call mm-hmm. and say, I'm having a girl problem. I can't get a hold of my mm-hmm. mom or um, that kind of a thing. So Alexa, what, um, this this woman, um, she lives in uh, St. Louis, right? Did, I'm, I'm, we, we, we obviously we know a lot about uh, one another. What when their mom was about to come home, were you counseling them through it? Were you on on FaceTime with them? What was going on? So, um, I am more of a lay laid back approach to it. Like I'm not gonna. Like I'll reach out once in a while, um, but I waited for her to kind of re- them to reach out to me um, because I don't want to be another added stressor. Like, oh, I have to answer her. Oh, I have to, you know, talk to her when I don't want to. Um, so just kind of letting her know that I was there. I did, however, FaceTime with her a week before her mom came home, coincidentally. Um and actually with the situation with the COVID and everything, I was trying to um, trying to make sure she didn't get too excited and have a disappointment, um, but also, you know, not dampening her spirits as well. So, um, but luckily it all worked out for them and I'm super happy for them. And um, yeah, I'm just very happy for them. <laughs> Um, this this has been great. Why, why don't we go around the um, and each of you um, tell us kind of your your big takeaway here? Um, because I acknowledge it took a lot for not just to go through it, but now you even to come on a podcast and talk about it, it. It requires some some you know some fortitude. It requires uh, a decision to be made. Um, and, but you all made that decision. Each, each person has to make their own decision. So what's your, what's your takeaway from all of this that you want people to leave this, um, this podcast and this experience with? And then what we'll do is, um, we'll, we'll give your mom the, the, the last word to be able to tell everyone how to, uh, contact her if they're going through, um, uh, criminal justice issues, and especially for women who are uh, are are, um, are going through these issues. So, um, Alexa, why don't we start with you and tell us tell us what you're you know what what you'd like everyone to remember or to know. Um, I would like everyone to remember that um, everybody makes mistakes, and that doesn't define them as a person. And that um, everyone. And, and to remember to listen to everyone's story and, and be able to sympathize. I mean, judging is not going to help anybody in this world. And um, also, if you've been through something, help give back to help other families. Um, so my takeaway from this is, is my mom took a poor choice of hers and she really, I think, created something amazing from it and something that gives to a lot of other people and a lot of other families. And um, I know I'm super proud of her. And I think my takeaway would, would be um, she, how she handled the situation with grace in class. And um, 
you know, you can make a mistake. It's how you handle it and come through it. Lovely. Maria? Uh, I just agree with Alex. I think the takeaway with my takeaway would be just that you have to listen to everybody's story. I mean, with my mom's situation, it was in the newspaper, but most of it was wrong. You can't just judge somebody off of a paper. You, I think you need to get to know them and their family before you can make any judgments and that people should have sympathy for children and the people in prison. I mean, my mom felt guilty the whole time. It wasn't like she was sitting there relaxed and taking it day by day. She was guilty and same with the, like me and my sister and my family. I mean, we were upset about the situation and sad. It's just people need to be more sympathetic. Jackie. Um, I think it's important for me for people to understand, especially with families, that they can get through it. Our family did. Again, like like Alexa said, we're not perfect. We have fought. We have um, gone through times where we didn't speak because we didn't know what to say to each other. And um, we got through it through love. I think that there's a lot of judgment, a lot of hate out in the world today. A lot of anger with this situation. Anger is so prevalent. And I don't think the kids know what they're feeling. And they don't know what they're feeling until you really come home. And they could finally have that aha moment where they may get angry at you. They may act out a little bit. And I think the most important thing is for to women to realize they are not perfect. Mm -hmm. There's no manual that comes with parenting. There's no manual that comes with life. We do the best we can do. We make bad choices, just like our kids make bad choices. And you have to own up to those choices. And you have to say you're sorry. I was said I was sorry to my children and my husband, and I was. And um, I think that if there's more empathy and more acknowledgement and taking responsibility, I think families would get through it a lot easier and stronger. I agree. I agree. So Jackie, why don't you um, tell everyone how to contact you um, and um, what your basic services are? Okay. I have, um, you can reach, our website is www.evolutionreentry.com. Um, Email is easy, evolutionreentry at gmail.com, or there's a contact form on there. I work with any woman who is about to go to prison who wants to learn about how to survive and what to expect and how to help talk to their kids and tell their children. And then when they come home, we have people that specialize that need housing. Um, we have employment that we help with. We help teach you how to be transparent with your story and teach you how to talk to an employer. That's so important, especially for white collar. We don't have a clue. How do we sit down with somebody going for a position and tell them? And you, you have to with Google today. So, um, and we have services, obviously, for children to talk to um, all my kids do. For your husbands, my husband is, and for your moms um, that, are, that are elderly and don't understand. My mother also talks to, to people. So yeah. reach out for any any reason at all. Please do. Um, we're more than happy to help. Well, uh, thank thank you all. I, I, I 
can't tell you what a beautiful um, podcast this was. And um, the next time I see you, uh, probably be at Alexa's wedding. <laughs> no, 21 and then 22. <laughs> if it's, <laughs> oh, the wedding's pushed back to 21. Yes. Oh, I yes. didn't know that. I didn't know that. I know. We have announced cards ASAP. Oh, I know that the thing is going out. I was very scared that <laughs> you were really. <laughs> pushed it here. Oh, you pushed it here. Wasn't it originally in 21? Um, yes. Yeah, originally. originally and then, um, we're pushing it back to the original date, um, for the COVID reasons and sure. being responsible. And, and then Maria got engaged and then Alexa said, she better not take my date in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little of the, the, the Well, whatever goes on in the house with two daughters getting married at the same time. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> I don't want to know. Oh, but of course, we'll hear about it. So um, I just want to remind everyone, we have a white collar support group that meets uh, every Monday night online. You can find out information about it on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist like feminist. And how's that for tagline, right? That's wonderful. And um, that's um, Jackie's been a uh, was a charter member. Uh, Jackie, you're coming on four years of membership on that. I know. On that yeah. And I want to say thank you, Jeff, because what you do for the community and for people is unsurmountable. I mean, it's unbelievable what you do for people. And I, I thank you very much. It's well, very thank you. It's thank a great you. thing. I feel the same way and same way about all of you. I'm just just a, a blessing. So. Um, Thank you all, and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.